Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be. I'd invite you to open up your Bibles, and I'm going to show you perhaps the most iconic slab of granite on the entire planet, and it's El Capitan, and from your view, it's on the left side. Most of you know it, if you've been here for any length of time. It's 3,000 feet from the bottom to the top. And just to kind of put that in perspective, I've never seen the Empire State Building, but it's more than two and a half times taller than the Empire State Building. Never been to France, but if I was in France and I was at the Eiffel Tower, it's three times as high as the Eiffel Tower. This is a fantastic feature on our earth. And seeing it from the bottom is really impressive. It looks like this. This is from the very bottom. You can do a very short, easy hike to the bottom of El Cap. Highly recommend it. Most people don't know that that hike exists. I don't like to talk about this much because I don't like to brag, but my kids have climbed El Capitan. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm a humble guy. I don't like to brag on them too much, Um, but here they are. Uh, We were at the base of this and, of course, led out by Tegan because Tegan climbs everything. Um, they started to climb. Now, they didn't really get that far. Here, here's like a zoomed-in thing. Uh, Tegan's way at the top by that tree, and this is the point at which I began to have a heart attack, and I said, okay, fun's over. Get down. We got a quick picture. Come on down. In 2017, this wall was climbed by a guy named Alex Honnold. You may have heard of him. Um, there's a movie called Free Solo out about his climb, and there's been many books and interviews and all kinds of things. And the reason that you've heard of Alex Honnold climbing this, but not my kids, is because Alex made it to the top, right? So we both started at exactly the same spot. We both climbed El Cap. We both had the exact same amount of equipment. He did this without ropes, without any gear. He had a chalk bag. We didn't have a chalk bag. So roughly the same gear. But the reason that you've heard of Alex Honnold's climb and you never had any idea that my kids climbed is because we didn't get very far. Alex finished. Alex made it to the top. Let me just say this. If you are a Christian, to be crystal clear, every time we talk about the church, we're talking about you. You are God's living building. So when I pray for this church, I'm praying to consecrate this space God set it apart for something holy to go on. But God is not out to to save the eternal soul of paint and drywall and studs and foundation. Those are just materials. He's out to save the souls of that which will last forever, which is the hearts of human people. Human people is what he is after. So if you're a Christian, you are the church. And church, you have a mission to complete. It couldn't be more clear. We as the church have a mission to complete. I looked up this quote that was kind of in my head, and I realized it's not just a couple of people that said this. Several different people have said this different ways, um, from Ralph Waldo Emerson to, I'll, I'll give the Martin Luther King version, but here's what he said. The quality, not the longevity of one's life is what is most important. So, in other words, it's not how long you lived, but how well you lived. That's biblical. That's a biblical idea. Jesus modeled that for us. 
We are to live with the end in mind. When I preach, I think about preaching and I say, God, what action can I call people to that will have the most lasting impact? I want to preach, I want to pastor you having, having, if I preach your funeral someday, which I know is a morbid thought, but it's just reality, that if I preach your funeral someday, I say, man, I, I love this person well. I, I told them the truth, and, and we've been preparing for this day. We've been talking about this day. We're not surprised by it. So to live with the end in mind. This morning, it just happened in, in Eli's reading program. We're in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is sometimes called the Hall of Faith chapter. It's people who lived with the end in mind. It says at the very end of that that they, they didn't get what was promised. In other words, they, they didn't get great reward here on earth. They were living for the greater reward. They lived with, with the end in mind. This image of Church Activate, which is our sort of series title, this is the series title that we're going with, um, captures what this book is all about. And what I want to do is I want to spend... Um, a little bit of time just unpacking this picture because I want you to see and remember things when you see this image. You're going to see it a bunch of different contexts, and I want you to see and remember some things, and I'll, I'll remind you of what they are. But these are all drawn from me just sitting and soaking in Acts for the last couple of months. And so this, this picture will teach you uh, kind of over and over in some different ways. If you weren't here last week, um, you won't remember this, but if you were, you might remember the, the Wonder Twins. Remember the Wonder Twins? So the Wonder Twins activate. Boop, and there's a sweet little fist pump, and things happen. Um, so that's the idea that God uses unique skills. They're supernaturally given for good. That's what the Wonder Twin powers were all about. Um, and he pairs us with others for success. Remember, uh, it was shape of an octopus and form of an ice unicycle. Like, what on earth can you do by yourself with those? But if you've got an octopus riding a frozen unicycle, you can battle all kinds of good. So that's a little picture of the church. Here's what I want you to notice from this image, okay? If you're taking notes, you can just jot down whatever leaps out to you, but it might help to, to write a few things down. Number one is this, that Acts records the start of the church, Acts records the start of the church. Remember, Luke is the only gospel writer who writes a sequel. The gospel writer Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament, wrote a sequel. It's called Acts. And that's where this word activated comes from. People all the time want to ask about NBC, and they go, when did your church start? And a fully appropriate answer would be, you know, roughly about 2,000 years ago. You know, give or take a century or two, but that's roughly what it is. Uh, I'm going to start using that, I think. Now that we're preaching through Acts, that's a really appropriate um, idea. What they want to know is when did this iteration of Neighborhood Bible Church begin? Well, that was 2006. But this building's been here for a long time. It's been a Christian church proclaiming the gospel for a lot longer than that. So here's the reality. Your church, my church, the church, we started about 2,000 years ago. When Jesus died, rose... Uh, rose again and then ascended. That's the launch of the church age. Think about this. I don't have one on me. I put my wallet away. Um, but when you get a new credit card or debit card, it comes and it says what? It says it must be activated, right? So before you activate that card, um, it, has, it has all the look and form of a, of a card that has potentially great wealth behind it, great buying power behind it, but it is absolutely ineffective until you activate it. 
right? So either you know, dial a phone call or you, or you go on the web or something. In some way, you have to activate the, the, the card. This is what we see in Acts. Jesus promises that he's building the church and, it will never, and that it will never be defeated, and he activates it. He literally fires it up, okay? And that's what you see behind. There's some sparks shooting out. That's the next point. The supernatural spark of the Holy Spirit is what ignites the church age. Acts 1.7 says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, gathering of people, as in each of you. We're going to get to this in chapter 2, where it says that tongues of fire rested on each one. So the church was activated, not through a single person. It wasn't Moses going up to hear from God directly and come be um, a, a mediator, so to speak, between God and man. It's now that the Holy Spirit's going to come and rest on each Christian, on each disciple. And that's the, 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 the miracle that happens at Pentecost. The little tagline that we're going to come to time and time again is, we have the power, period. Finish the mission, period. If you, if you separate those two, you just say, we have power from on high. We've got power, we've got power, we've got power. Guess where it goes? It goes all about you. Power to overcome your sin. Power to overcome your temptations. Power to get you ahead in life. Power to, to grow in knowledge. Power to grow in love. Power. It may be great things, but separated from the mission, that can often turn very, very inward and selfish. And if you just get to finish the miss- mission, and you ignore or neglect or forget the power from on high, you will screw it up. There was a visiting pastor that came to the U.S., I forget what country, and he went around with this pastor, and the pastor said, what do you think? And he said this, it's amazing what you can accomplish without God. I go to your American churches, and there's lights, and there's shows, and there's a perfectly mixed sound, and incredibly inspiring speakers. Now, he wasn't necessarily saying God wasn't in that, but it was very convicting for this, for this American pastor. He's like, we have none of that. We're dependent wholly on God in our meeting places for there to be things that, that go on. We have the power, finish the mission. Here's what else I want you to see. I want you to see that the power from on high is very clearly for a purpose. Power from on high is for a purpose. The goal of this indwelling power is crystal clear. We're going to talk about this, I think, almost every week. It's just going to keep emerging why the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in people. Look at the picture for a second. Think about football. We are here playing football. Eli is holding a football in the front row. Andres is holding a football. We didn't use two footballs, I promise you. We used one. But when you watch someone play football, they're not just running around on a field exerting energy. They're not just hitting each other with great power. There's a goal to football, right? What is it? To score so you can win. To beat the Niners. That's exactly right. I translated it for you. You were, you were a little wrong there. It was close. I was going to try to get the whole time without bringing up the Niners-Cowboys. Thanks, Gria. Yeah, we, we got a few minutes in. So the purpose... Of the power on high from the Holy Spirit is really, really clear. Here here it is, okay? In a nutshell, it's evangelize the whole world. 
evangelize the whole world. That's it. If you ever forget what you're supposed to be doing, you're supposed to be evangelizing the whole world. Every single time you think of that, you ought to go, whoa, that's a lot. That's, that's a big task. And it ought to point you back to the power from on high. The power from on high is to evangelize the whole world. So we're, we're, gonna, we're just going to hear this over and over and over and again. Uh, Acts 1, 7, just, just look at it in verse 7. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God's power from on high included many miraculous signs uh, th- that are included in this book, many more that aren't included in this book. And they're, they're, they're not just words. We're going to look at a powerful sermon that Peter preaches. Over and over, we're, there's a ton of speeches and, and sermons in this, but also through acts of incredible acts of sacrificial mercy, incredible acts of sacrificial generosity that just says, you know what? If this is going to help finish the mission, I will gladly give this up. And ultimately, people begin to give up their own life for that. Here's another thing I want you to see. The church is made of all kinds of regular people doing incredible things. I intentionally used a picture of just people from our church just to show the the immense ordinariness of the church. We are trained maybe more in the West than most to kind of always look for superstars, grand, big, you know, sort of people that that are exceptionally, you know, good at this, that, or the other thing. And I think sometimes we, we miss just sort of the, the regular, ordinary life. Jesus came on the scene talking about seeds and yeast. What a beautiful picture for the kingdom of God. What does the seed do? Well, it gets tossed in the ground and forgotten. And then it just does its miraculous thing, and it turns into things that we can eat and have shade from and all kinds of things. Flip over to Acts 4.13 just for a second. A couple pages over. Let me show you regular people doing incredible things. The whole first part of Acts is all about Peter, and then sort of the second half of Acts is about Paul. Those are the two human figures that sort of take center stage. Of course, Holy Spirit is center stage in all of it. Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, listen to this, that they were uneducated common men. Do you see it? If you take notes in your Bible, circle uneducated common men. The church is filled with really regular people. What they were saying is this. When they perceived that Peter and John were just regular guys, that's what that's saying, they were astonished. I love this line. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. We laid hands as a team on Philip and Jessica yesterday, whose house burned down a few days before Christmas. And we just, we just prayed over them. And a, and a part of the prayer was this. That, that as we are drawn to, to Jessica and Philip's leadership, it's actually not Jessica and Philip that we're drawn to. It's the Jesus inside of Jessica and Philip that we see emanating from their lifestyle. So that's what actually draws you to people. That's what astonishes you about people. Because the flesh, we know the list of things that the flesh is capable of producing. It's all the ills and ailments of our society. It's all the things that frustrate you about yourself. It's all the things that hold us captive. We also know the fruit of the Spirit. What is it? It's love. 
and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. When we see these things, we go, oh, I'm just drawn to that. We're drawn to the Jesus inside of people. They were astonished because these people had been with Jesus. The people on your screen are regular people. They're not superstars. I kind of pointed out AJ. AJ's under Lucas's right arm. You see him? AJ had been to practice that morning for his CCS championship game that was happening the following day. So maybe he has a little bit more credentials than the rest of us, but a handful hundred of people saw him play in a CCS championship game, and, and that was it. So, so he, he's, the, he's the superstar among us, but even his credentials are, are you know, he's not going to be on TV today. God, for the most part, uses really regular uh, people. I'm not going to point them out, but there's a couple in this picture that thought they were coming to watch a football game. Nonsense. Hear me clearly. No Christian just comes to watch the events going on. You are called into the game. You are called to play. The game would have fundamentally changed had not every single person played. It took a little bit of a cajoling and encouragement. No, get in here. You're going to play. Okay. And then everyone played. Everyone had a part. And I can say with clarity, every, everyone there made plays and had an impact on the game, big and small. Now, the church is not a staff. One of the ways churches go wrong is you think, well, the staff will do it. We pay the staff to do Christian stuff. We're here to make money in the Silicon Valley and dream up great ideas and tell them what to do. I reject that. We're actually, Ephesians 4, we're actually, as a church staff, we are called to equip you for works of service. We're called to train up you. We're called to invite you and, and notice things in you and go, man, you should be doing this. This little put me in coach, how fitting is the word put me in coach on a picture like this? In case a leader, an earthly leader, is not noticing that you're not playing the game, you have authority from on high, your heavenly coach, Jesus, that says, get in the game. This says, I have no idea what position to play. We actually clarified, we clarified rules of football for someone in this picture. Again, I'm not naming names, but that's pretty awesome. I love that they were that new. They're like, yeah, I'm in. I'll play. Just tell me what to do. I'll play. So put me in, coach, is, is saying, hey, I, I'm, I need to get activated in this. So the church is not a staff. Um, but let me show you, this is, our staff at our, this is our staff Christmas party. Let me show you what regular people do that accomplish, honestly, such redemptive things in this place. This is our staff Christmas party, okay? We did a little pinata, and what was so cool about the pinata is we're whacking on this thing and doing it, and all these kids from John Muir line up along the fence over here, and they start singing sing the pinata song, Lucas, go. They start singing this. It was so awesome. Like they were all watching a bunch of like church staff. Like what are these adults doing? Like whacking on this thing. We just had a, we just had a really good time. I show you that to say man, church, churches look really regular. And, um, and if you have a superstar mentality, I pray God will sort of like free you from that. Say, man, Peter and John were just regular people. The astonishing thing is that they've been with Jesus. And when that happens, crazy things go on. All right, let me show you something else. Do you see that? There, there's, a, there's a trophy almost as big as my daughter, Everly, right in the center. We were competing for a trophy that fades 
and really doesn't matter. In fact, I won't even tell you who won because the glory is going to fade, right? Lucas, it doesn't matter who won. Knock it off. <laughs> that trophy, who cares about it? Here, Christian, hear me. We are competing for a trophy that will never fade. A glory and a reward that, that if you could look back on the first moments after you die, you just go, oh, the petty things I chased after. The petty things that I thought were so important. I can almost guarantee you, except for a few sports nerds, you cannot remember five years ago who won the divisional championship game. You have no idea. You can't think about it. Uh, th- these things that we're going to like pour energy into today around football, and it's going to be a really great time. We're going to have a lot of fun. But, but that's going to fade. That's a, that's, a, that's a glory that will fade. Lastly, I want you to see, find the little green location pin in there. That's a little Google Maps location pin, and it's centered right between where you are. What that means is this, church, act right where you are. That's what that means. We all see like little location pins. Where are you right now? I'm right here. That's where you are to activate as the church. Why is it green? Because green means go. And the whole book of Acts is go. Go to that person. Go speak up. Go. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, let me just show you this. When, when we came up with this theme for community groups, um, I, I was thinking and praying through themes for Acts. And I thought, wow, Lord, you knew what you were doing with our theme for community groups and the whole idea of Acts. Because our community group theme is this, get moving. Get going. Do stuff. Church Act, like actually speak, actually do, actually obey. Uh, Church activate is is both a a request to pray, like, God, would you activate us? But it's also a simple command to to, to follow. And again, we're going to kind of see that as we go through. Um, Acts chapter 4, listen to this prayer. As regular Christians are seeking God. Okay, you can turn there if you want. It's a couple pages over. Acts 4, 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats... And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let me just say this. It doesn't really matter where that place was. We don't need to go travel to that place where they were praying. That's not the important part. You know what the important part is? That they were gathered together for prayer. And do you know what that prayer yielded? Additional boldness to continue to speak the word of God. That's it. That's so powerful to see. All right. Let me me shift gears now. That's That's still sort of overview of Acts. Now we're going to complete chapter one. And as we're going to do with almost every chapter in this entire book, we're going to look at some things and not look at some things. The book of Acts is now, the rest of the chapter is dominated by two scenes. One is the replacement of Judas Iscariot. Who's Judas Iscariot? He's the villain of the disciples, right? Satan fills his heart. He he turns Jesus in. He stabs Jesus in the back. The sign, what's the sign that he's going to give when his master, his professed Lord and Savior, is going to enter the garden? It's a kiss of friendship. 
It's a sign of intimate friendship. And that's the sign he's given to the thugs to come and arrest Jesus. That's Judas Iscariot. By the way, lest you forget, he deeply regretted that and went out and hanged himself. Hated himself for doing the wrong thing. So part of the book, uh, chapter 1 of Acts, is replacing Judas Iscariot with a guy named Matthias. We're not going to read that part. Okay, You can look at that on your own. You can look at that as a community group. The second scene is the ascension of Jesus. And uh, this sort of leads us to our title for this morning, that Jesus is gone for good, but not forever. Look at, look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 9. It says, And when he had said these things, Jesus, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So the ascension of Jesus, that's what this event is commonly called, the ascension of Jesus. Ascension just means to go up. The ascension of Jesus lights the fuse that sort of ignites the explosive church growth that we're going to read about next chapter and beyond. So the Holy Spirit was to come after Jesus had gone away. Jesus promised these things. Remember John 14 to 16? He said all this was going to happen. It's better that I go away. So Jesus being gone is for good. That's a good thing. Because once he's gone, the Holy Spirit can come and ignite this. This is sort of the next stage of the rocket. You think of a rocket being launched, right? Creation, there was a plan set in place. And this is the next sort of like ignition that, that launches the mission forward in a unique way. So let me just walk it through this way. If you're taking notes, write this down. The ascension of Jesus is an ending, as in it's over. It clearly signals the end of Jesus being physically present as a teacher, as a healer, as a leader. So when you look to follow Jesus, you are not looking for a man named Jesus, right, to go around and follow here on earth. That's not what it's talking about. We don't need to go to the Holy Land and find a physical Jesus around. The ascension clears out the fog of a couple of things. One is what happens to us when we die. And the other one is sort of about looking, for, looking to an earthly king um, to, to, to help things. So Jesus gives the authoritative answer to the question of life after death. Think about this. Jesus spoke many assurances so that we would know where he was and where we would go after death. So that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels talk all about that. Recording Jesus over and over and over again, assuring us it's going to be all okay. Life goes on after physical life ends. So he says all these things, and then he leaves, think about it, alive and well, right in front of the disciples' faces. So he says, it's going to be all okay. He rises from the dead, and he leaves alive and well in their presence. Jesus is our leader. Leaders go first. 
You want to know that you're going to be alive and well? You want to know that your loved ones who have died in Christ are alive and well? Look to the ascension of Jesus Christ. I don't know if on his way up, like we've seen this depicted in things, and you know, I don't know if he's like, see ya. I don't know what he's doing. But he's, he's good. He's alive and well. And, and, and the scriptures make this really clear. Look at verse 9. It says, while they were looking on. Like, this wasn't imagined. This wasn't metaphorical. Later, out of their sight. Later, while they were gazing into heaven. These are, these are activities we do. Out of our sight, gazing, looking on. So the ascension is a clear, firm statement that he is alive and well and full of joy and blessing. I love how Luke 24, 51, right after it says that he left, it says this. Verse 51 says, while, or, or this is about, this is how Luke describes the ascension in his gospel. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up in heaven. Last thing Jesus does as he goes, he's blessing them. That is, that is just wildly profound. So like his very first moments on the planet, born of a virgin in a Bethlehem barn, so his very last moments on the planet are deeply revealing as to who Jesus is. And maybe more than that is where he is and why it matters. Jesus shows up in a supernatural way. He says that he he was all of these things. And then in broad daylight, up, up, and away, Jesus leaves in front of their faces. The ascension clearly shows the nature of Jesus' kingdom and rule is truly not of this world. It's altogether different. He never intended to establish a name for himself Uh, in an earthly way, in an earthly kingdom. In fact, he actually exposed the folly of doing that. In Mark 8, he says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The ascension reminds us that Jesus is off preparing our eternal home. Message for disciples, don't get too attached or comfortable with this home. And... Do not waste your life for something that won't last. Don't waste your life building your name or your earthly kingdom. It's a terrible trade-off. The ascension of Jesus stamps complete. Jesus comes and makes these audacious claims. I am God in the flesh. I came from heaven. I'm doing God's work. I'm going back to God when it's done. This is him going back to God. It's giving one more final sign here on earth to his disciples that what he said was true. Mission accomplished. He goes back to the Father where he came from. Done. Finished. It's over. Game, set, match. There ought to be a certain like release for us with that. That's good news. Jesus came and did what he set out to do. All right, so the ascension is an ending, but it's also a beginning. Jot this down. The ascension is a beginning, as in it's on. So the ascension is like a coronation. Go ahead and turn over to Philippians 2. You can leave your finger in Acts 1. We'll come back to it. 
Think about the inauguration of a new president. Why all the pomp and circumstance whenever a new president comes and is sworn in? It's because we understand there's a, there's a change in leadership happening, right? And so every day on inauguration day, some Americans are weeping and mourning and just saying that the world is about to end, and others are cheering and gleeful and literally weeping with joy because their person got into the White House. It's a really significant kind of a day. Every time you ever watch or read about or hear about an inauguration or a voting cycle, say really clearly to yourself, my hope is not in a party. My hope is not in a president. Our hope is not in an earthly kingdom in any way, shape, or form. God, give me eyes to see where my hope is. I think watching an inauguration is powerful, though, because you can kind of see a little glim shadow, a little reflection of of what was going on during the ascension. The ascension is filled with joy because it's a coronation. It's the start of a new era. Jesus just rose from the dead. Death has now been conquered. Sin vanquished. The prisoners are going to be set free in a brand new way. Philippians is a book of the Bible which kind of gives commentary on what the life of Jesus was about. In fact, if I could summarize the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are biographies of Jesus Acts is sort of a biography of the early church. And then all the letters that you see up until Revelation, those are all looking back on these events of Jesus and what he accomplished and what it means for us, what's going on. So now you get to look with spiritual lens or eyes back on what Jesus did. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Listen for Christmas and Easter in this short passage, okay? Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Merry Christmas. That's the incarnation. That's Jesus coming to earth as a physical person. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Happy Easter. Right? There it is. That's, those are the, the, the two big moments of his life. Here's the Father's response to that. Listen to verse 9 or look at it yourself. Therefore, the fact that Jesus came, did his work, completed it, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no more fitting climax to his time here on earth than for Jesus to go in front of his friends blessing them out of their sight. In 1 Peter 3.18, don't turn there, just listen carefully. You can, so I, I got in trouble for this. You can turn there. I'm just going to go very, very quickly. So for the most of you who are like, I'm so frustrated. I finally got there and you moved on. That's what I'm talking about. Turn there if you want. Far be it from me to ever tell people not to turn to Scripture. All right, 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Do you see? This is the New Testament letters giving explanation to what was going on in the Gospels. It was the righteous dying for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The the passage ends this way. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. 
with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So where is Jesus right now? He's ruling with the Father in heaven. That's where he is right now and always. Whenever we sing words like you bring meaning to our chaos or things feel out of control or it's so chaotic, it never actually is. Jesus doesn't lie. He's in control. He's ruling and sovereign right now. So work done, Jesus is now sitting. He's not sitting to rest, he's sitting to reign. He's on his throne. Sitting at the right hand of God is sort of um, uh, old uh, Near East language that's sort of metaphor for omnipotence. If I were to say this, and you were born and raised in America, you would understand, but if I said I have an oval office in this big white house, you, you would understand I'm talking about something, and you go, oh, wow, you're that guy. That's what sitting at the right hand of God was talking about. All right, so that's the divine start of things that was going on uh, with the ascension. There's also something that took place with us. The ascension is the beginning of the church. Jesus leaves his mission and message in great hands, not because of human qualification. Again, think of the, the turkey bowl crew, right? It's not because those specific people were so spectacular, but because um, spiritually, they now had power from on high to complete the mission. So church, you are called to live out your purpose and identity every day, everywhere. We are witnesses, and we're to make disciples. We are witnesses, and to make disciples. Finish the mission. That means you individually and NBC, us corporately, and church capital C corporately, we have a specific role to play. The witnessing and work has been going on for 2,000 years, and the baton has now been passed to you. If you trace your spiritual lineage, somehow, somewhere, people kept obeying this message, this mission. It's not over because Jesus hasn't come back yet. There's still time. But somehow, you're sitting here today, awake and alive to the things of God, and now it's your turn to pass the baton. By virtue of the fact that you were alive physically and alive spiritually in Jesus, your time to activate is right now. I love how, uh, look back at Acts 1 now, in verse 10. This is how Luke records the moments just after Jesus leaves. And while they were gazing into heaven, and, he, and, and as he went, behold, two men standing there with white robes, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go. Show's over, boys! Get! The ascension is an ending, but it's also a beginning. Go! Don't stand here looking up for Jesus. Hear me really clearly. Jesus' sightings are over. Sometimes people spend their whole time looking for signs. They, they want to find Mary's face in a pancake. They want to, they, they, they're pretty sure they saw Jesus wink at them in the clouds. I mean, all, there's all kinds of crazy that goes on. People grasping, looking for a physical sign. The disciples were the same way. Jesus says, go to Jerusalem and wait for me. And they're just like gazing. And so like, hey, guys, get going. The mission has begun. Uh, when we say it's on in our family, it means challenge accepted. I bet I can beat you eating dinner. It's on, right? Ah, like whatever. Like we're, uh, 
we're mostly a pretty competitive family. And, and, and we understand, like, that means, like, challenge, except, like, let's go. Let's get after this. Those of you who are competitive, you're like, yeah, it's on. That's what was going on here. The ascension signaled they had work to do. Let me tell you how we talk about the mission that we're on as a church. And this is just a helpful rephrasing of some of the things that we're talking about. NBC is on a mission to turn strangers into neighbors, and by God's grace, neighbors into family. That packs a lot of biblical truth into that. But it helps break down when you say, you're to be my witnesses. What does witnessing mean? And that's a great discussion for your community group. I think sometimes people think witnessing means, knock, 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 have you heard that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Is that witnessing? Yes! That is bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that all that witnessing is? Please say no. No! All kinds of witnessing goes on in all kinds of different ways. So we are to witness nonstop and witness in all that we do. We're to be always making disciples. Same with discipleship. If we limit that to programs of the church, times you can physically make it here, we're, we're going we're gonna to fall woefully short of the mission. So, so we'll keep seeing and explaining this. But strangers into neighbors means that if I just turn a stranger, a person that, was, that I didn't know 10 minutes ago, into someone that I now know their name and they know my name, I, I've, just, I've just done so. I, in the name of Jesus, I've just done something that I say, God, let me be a witness to them. This might be a future member of, of your family. It begins by turning a stranger into a neighbor. How do you do that? Well, look, look to the, um, the Good Samaritan, is what we sometimes call it, right? The lesson of the Good Samaritan is this. Your neighbor is whoever you act neighborly to. It's not the person on your left and right, although that's an amazing place to start. Don't ignore them. But your neighbor is whoever you act neighborly to. So you just wake up, God, let, let me, show me people, bring people to me that I can be neighborly to. Strangers into neighbors, and by God's grace, neighbors into family. What am I talking about that? The spiritual eternal family of God, being born again into a spiritual family. We're having a membership class right after this service in the share room. If you have not signed up, some of you have signed up. Thank you for that. That's helpful. If you have not signed up and you want to come and explore membership at Neighborhood Bible Church, come and do that. We will talk about why, what do you mean when you say church isn't just something you attend, it's, it's a family that you join. We'll talk about that. We'll discuss what that is. But that's sort of a simple way to think about the mission of the church. Let me just say one more comment on this because it's so powerful. It's really huge to note where Jesus ascended. It's really massive to note where this commissioning, uh, this final scene takes place. You might have thought he would have gone to Bethlehem where it all began. Let's go back to where it all began and have symmetry to the story. Nope, not Bethlehem. How about Jerusalem? The absolute center of all things God and his people. What a place to, to go. Nope, it's not Jerusalem. How about Rome? How about the Mount of Transfiguration? None of those. You know where it was? It was in Bethany. It was in Bethany. What was Bethany? Uh, verse 50 in, in Luke's account, he says, and he led them out as far as Bethany. This is the place of closest and sweetest intimate friendship with Jesus and his disciples. It's where he would pull away and go and, and just sort of like, it was like a retreat center with his friends. 
Bethany was not some fancy uh, place. The ascension happened in broad daylight, but it happened uh, in a place of friendship, marking the intimacy of Jesus. In the very act of blessing his friends as he goes, it says, as he blessed them, he left from their sight. He wasn't only going away as, his, as the rightful high priest, but as a brother and an intimate ally with these, with these men. What an assurance that his presence and blessing wasn't ending. It was just changing locations from physically being with them to now being in us via the Holy Spirit. One more passage I'll wrap up with is Hebrews 4. Again, maybe close your eyes just to soak in these words. Listen for ascension language in this great passage about Jesus identifying with the lowly. Band, come on up while I read this. Hebrews 4.14 says this. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, since the ascension is true, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, listen, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment and sit with this question. We are to make disciples and bear witness to the entire planet. That ought to leave us with how on earth can I do this? And the answer in Acts is the answer for us. It's by leaning on power, not from the earth. So we don't look to pastor or to a program. We don't even look to our knowledge of the scriptures to understand and figure out all the plan. We lean on and require power from on high. So Holy Spirit, we we receive the truth that you have made your dwelling in us that you're not only the comforter, but the one that will lead us into all truth. You're the one that fills us with boldness and courage to move toward other people in love. Today we sing, and we sit under teaching, and we fellowship, and we pray, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we are committed as your church to complete the mission you've called us to do.